rebooting of season two. And we are actually live in person for this episode with a very special person, um, someone who I've been friends with for a long, long time, who's worked in law enforcement and digital forensics, and he's now a regular on TV and in newspapers. I'm, of course, talking about Jake Moore. Welcome, Jake. Hello, thank you. <laughs> Great to have you here. Thanks very much. So the first question that I always ask all my guests is how would your family describe what you do for a living? Well, funnily enough, um, actually, I've heard my daughter describe what I do to her friend. She's seven. <laughs> and once her friend asked her what I do, and she replied, she said, and this is genuine, she said to her friends, my dad keeps the internet safe. And oh. I, I thought, I, I'm going to keep that. I should put it on my website. I love that. And, and I guess, guess she's right. I'd like to help uh, people understand the internet more, understand the risks, and better protect themselves. I love that. I think that should go on your LinkedIn, and I think it should also go on your business card. Yeah. Keeping the internet safe. Jake yeah. Moore. Keeping the internet safe. Yeah, I like it. Um, but we worked in the police together. That's when we first met. And I think you remember the, we did a course and I, if you remember, I went, I think I went through like two massive A4 pads of paper with my, so I, just, my well, I think that's because I can't write. My hand doesn't seem to work anymore. Um, they only allowed pen and paper. And I looked at that and after I'd written my name, my hand hurt. So it's like buying birthday cards these days. I can't do it. I can write happy. And then by the time I get to birthday, uh, my hand is aching. And so I just go, you know what? I'll just text them. Yeah, you should, you should speak to Graham Cooley because he talks about how, how fit his hands are for playing chess. So, ah, Graham, get some go. tips across to Jane, oh, for geez. sure. <laughs> um, and I want to talk first about um, a funny story. And I know that I bring this up a lot. Yeah. But there was a funny story when you were in the digital forensics unit. I think it would be sad for our listeners not to okay. witness the greatness of. Yeah. Okay, um, this is a great story. Uh, I still chuckle about this today. So yeah, I was working in digital forensics, Dorset Police. Um, I needed a new laptop to just to have a play with. Um, I didn't want anything fancy. Uh, and this is back in around 2012. Um, uh, I decided just to buy anything that was going on eBay. And what I used to do when I worked in the police, if I bought anything on eBay, I wanted to send it to my address at the police station because well, it stops, you'd hope, stolen property being sent to the, a police station. So uh, I bought this uh, Windows 7 laptop. It was uh, a couple of years old at the time when I got it. Um, I opened it up at work. Uh, no BitLocker, but it was Windows password. Okay, so I couldn't open it. Um, I wasn't sent any password. Uh, and it was a, a female name and a female picture, but I bought it off this guy. I thought, well, you know, it could, could be anyone related to him. Um, I tried contacting him for the password. Nothing. So I thought, well, I'm sat in the digital forensics unit. Well, why don't I just take the hard drive out and use the tools that might just disposal? So uh, I took the hard drive out, I put it through, and um, I started to look at all the files that were on there, and I found a CV. I thought this would be good, I'll get some information um, on who this was. Maybe I can ring the person up and ask for some help. They've sold it to me. Why aren't they going to help me, surely? And so um, I found a CV, found the, the girl's name, and I rang her up and I said, hey, um, you haven't lost or sold a laptop recently, have you? And she said, oh my God, everything got stolen from my house two weeks ago. I mean, everything. Uh, bike, TV, laptop, the lot. I said, well, I think I've got your laptop in my hands. And she said, oh my God, that's amazing. So 
Um, I then contacted her local police force because it wasn't in Dorset. I gave them a ring and I said, look, strange story, but um, I've got this laptop um, and I've got the address of the person that sold it to me. So I let them have all the information. The local police force then went round to this guy's house and they found everything that had been stolen two weeks prior and we got to give the laptop back. I got my money back from eBay, so I was all happy. But then I thought to myself, oh my God, criminals, what are you doing? He sent that, okay, the address to send a laptop that he has stolen went to Jake Moore, High Tech Crime Unit, Dorset Police, in Ferndown, Dorset. Now, what was he thinking? Oh, okay, I've stolen a laptop. I'm going to send it to a digital forensics unit. I mean, this was The OPSEC is just on another level. I know, I love it. So it just goes to show that cyber criminals come in all colours and varieties. So there was a funny story that uh, one of my DIs in the police told me, which was that they'd been trying to solve this particular cybercrime um, case that they were working on. And they were a bit kind of, they, could, they sort of knew roughly who it might be, but they didn't really have any evidence. Mm. Um, and they, would, they put a job posting up, completely unrelated, for the unit. And this, uh, this guy applies for the job and under experience details this hack that they're actually investigating. And they say to oh. him, um, they think like, oh, this has got to be, he's having a laugh or something, you know, yeah. something's gone on here. <laughs> so they call him up and they said about the job and they said, look, we need to bring you in for an interview. And he thought they were interviewing him for the job. Amazing. So he shows up at the police station in a suit. Yeah. With a CV, yeah, yeah. all ready for this interview, <laughs> and it's a very different interview oh, that pans wow. out. So it goes to show the OPSEC on some of these things I is <laughs> is terrible. But obviously, I think probably most of the people who are viewing this are going to go, okay, so you work for the police, but what have the police really done? What are they doing for cybercrime? Are they making any difference? Um, mm. And I want to talk to you about one really concerning statistic that I found. Um, mm. It was from the Register, and they claim that um, a million reports go into action fraud in a year mm -hmm. and of those only two percent get given to the police so i mean and that's two percent of what gets reported yeah well the biggest issue i think there is is those those crimes that are getting forwarded from action fraud to the police are the ones where they think there may be a chance of finding the offenders now a lot of those reports will go into action fraud and say i've had a phishing email um, they may even say I've not clicked on it. So some do get reported and nothing was actually stolen. But then also those times when people say I've clicked on that Netflix email, I've actually given away my credit card details and now I've seen money taken, that will get uh, inputted into action fraud. But it still might not end up with the police because the police look at it and go, it's still too difficult for us to go and look, look into it. And so they're really looking for the localised uh, cyber offences, especially with local forces, which I was. I know you were a slightly different part of the police, but I was particularly looking at localised cybercrime, which involved people that knew each other. Maybe they were hacking someone else or trying to, to extort money out of someone that they actually mm -hmm. physically knew. Um, but when we don't know the offenders, that, that's where the other 98% usually are. And that's the difficulty with the police because they're basically sat there twiddling their thumbs going, well, what can we do? You know, the internet is, is a wonderful thing, but it's also created uh, that anonymous area that makes these cyber criminals work perfectly in complete disguise. Yeah. And throwing off the scent, very, very difficult. 
And then the police get a bad rap because they're not able to go and get those guys in. You know, you're all seeing people on the TV going, I can't believe it, my elderly mother got, got rinsed of £100,000 from a romance fraud or whatever it was. And you get, of course, we, we feel sorry for those people. You know, and then we think, well, what can we do about it? We don't know where those offenders are. So we've really got to instill protection advice. Mm-hmm. Um, I know prevention is better than cure, but it, it really is so important. So we've got to keep preventing this from happening. And we will win this fight. I, I'm pretty confident on it. It might sound crazy, but I really think we can. I love your I, I'm sure of it. <laughs> because if everyone knew the information that, that we know, and it's you know, even the lower level stuff, then we can really start to protect those people. There comes a tipping point, I think, where people go, you know what, I got it. Yeah. I understand a parcel manager, I understand 2FA. And then they start to, to carry on with that frame of mind and that thought process will then make them far safer in the future. Yeah. The other issue that people don't understand is that with normal crime, there's lots of lines of inquiry. Yeah. There's lots of things you can go look at, fingerprints, sure. you can look at CCTV. Yeah. And all of that disappears and I think it is very difficult and mm. I know from in my experience you know when even if you locate this person in a country even if that does happen you've then got to issue an I-law to that country you've then got to try and get their law enforcement yep. to cooperate collect the evidence in the same way that we need it presented in yep. our courts arrest the person and you know that's years this is it uh, you're right I mean fingerprints fibers uh, shoe prints you know there's loads of physical evidence from from classic crimes that we're so used to. And when I started the police, I actually started in the burglary unit. Um, oh, really? Um, I learned how burglars work. It's, it's fascinating to think how a, a criminal thinks. Um, you know, for the reasons why they want to go and burglar a house, right way through to how they might try and mitigate being caught. So um, usually there'd be a fingerprint or some blood, DNA left behind that we then throw into a system, lo and behold, click of a button later, effectively, if you ever watch those CSI programs, it, it doesn't take too long uh, to go and find out who that person might be. But yeah, if you take out all the old school evidence, you've got police officers scratching their heads going, what, what on earth are we going to do? I've got the chief on my back. Because digital offences have just gone through the roof. I mean, I don't even know the stats. They're just changing all the time. It's... It's in the millions, right? I think it's over 50% of crime now has a digital element attached yeah. to it. And so if you've got that amount of data, your phones, your USB sticks, everyone has tons of hard drives and laptops and all sorts. It's too much for the police to actually go through image and start looking for that needle in a haystack. Sometimes they don't even know what the needle looks like in that haystack. It's such a minefield. So from the forensic side, in in digital forensics, it is just a nightmare. And I find it frustrating. I mean, one of the reasons I left is because I realized that I was going to court loads at the start, uh, giving evidence to Crown Court. Um, and I- I'd get there and I'd have all my evidence in, in my um, reports. And I, go, I, f- I found it, I found his search history, I found his chat history, uh, I found his, his log on, log off times. It was just a ton of evidence that I just have there. And usually just by turning up, you'd get the defendant go guilty because he goes, well, he's given um, advice not even to step into the courtroom. Just, just go now, okay? Knock off 10% of your, your time. But what we're finding now is um, that people aren't going to court as much because the evidence isn't found. Mm-hmm. And that really started to bug me. I started to realise, 
So I was 10 years or so in the digital forensics unit. Uh, towards the end, I don't think I went for two years. Wow. Because we, we got some of the low-level ones in. Yeah, some people would go guilty beforehand, of course. But we weren't getting people into, uh, into the court because we were struggling to find the data. I mean, you've got the likes of Tor. Um, and any uh, anonymous browsing tool that's used illicitly is going to make it far, far more difficult for the police to go and get that evidence. Yeah. Before, you know, they'd think, you know what, I'm going to go private browsing. No one can find that. <laughs> and, and we would still have tools that could, that could carve out what we needed from that. Especially, you know, in the RAM, there's loads and loads of data that you could go and use against them. And it was great. Um, to get, I've been on bus when you go into someone's house, you get the computer, it's still on, you can get loads of information from that, it's fantastic. But few and far between, now um, it was getting more and more difficult. They'd understand how encrypt, encryption would be to their benefit. If it's a certain short password, those encryption keys, uh, we could break them using the National uh, Technical Assistance Centre, NTAC. Fantastic. They got some supercomputers, they'd run it through for us. Sometimes we'd get within a week, get into a hard drive that's completely um, fully encrypted. But what we found is there's so many that we couldn't. Right. If they've got 32 character passwords, we're looking at going, well, we can brute force it for a long, long time. I mean, how long you got? It became a nightmare. So we'd have these computers and you'd go back to them and, and say to the offenders, what's your password? <laughs> and they'd go, oh, oh I've forgotten it. Well, You've got section 49 where you can say, right, I'm going to do you for up to five years now. It was two years when it came out, but yeah, we could, we could put you away for that. But I don't know of any cases that happen that particularly endorse it. It's very, very difficult. You may be able to see some, some uh, file names that have gone between uh, computer and, and hard drive, but that's not to say you know what those files actually were, because a file right. name is something and a good... Uh, barrister would just say, well, you don't know what the hell that was. Right, exactly. It was a nightmare. And I think that's why we're also seeing such a growth in ransomware, because ransomware isn't like this really innovative new mm. thing, right? It's, yeah. it's really antiquated, actually. Um, but yeah, you know, Garmin, literally, yeah. really recently, okay. what, $10 million or something. Yeah. Travelex, $4 million. Um, all these companies paying millions and millions of dollars in ransoms. And I know we've talked about this, mm. to, you know, a, an awful lot. But, I mean, where do we go with that? Because in some ways, mm. by paying the ransom, which is the easy option for a lot of companies, you are facilitating this criminal marketplace, which the cops can't necessarily penetrate. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what, are we sort of feeding it in a sense? See, ransomware is one of my biggest bugbears. For years, I've been, I've been just going crazy with it. I, I can't believe it's still happening. Um, take away the, the extortion data for one moment. But the actual ransomware itself, oh my God, I can't believe in 2020, these huge companies are still being affected by it. You know, aren't they doing their due diligence on their own data to, and testing it? I mean, you're an advocate of of going to do a simulation attack on a business to see what would happen if X, Y, and Z were to occur. How quickly would we get back up and running? Well, if they can't get back up and running without paying a ransom, then something's wrong, okay? Right. And it doesn't cost anywhere near the ransom amounts to get back up uh, and be secure before it happens. Now, lots of people in a company 
can be susceptible to all sorts of uh, ransomware attacks. And I know social engineering attacks are very, very clever. Um, you know, if Twitter were to get hacked recently uh, via a, was it a phone call, then that's uh, slightly understandable. You're going to get people attacking people with the right uh, user access. But if they're able to override it and it still occur and then they lose everything, then I don't think that should be happening right now. We need to be making people understand how to mitigate the whole uh, ransomware. But if we're paying them off, the cycle continues. Okay, so insurers are jumping on the bandwagon on ransomware. They're seeing this as a, a line of, of defense. Right. Um, you know, you could argue that anti-ransomware is a good insurance for data, but the insurers are going, no, 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 no. We are the, the fail-safe. You lose all your data, don't worry. We'll reimburse you if you pay it, and this is legal, which I find crazy. <laughs> this is, they're able to reimburse the demands and get the data back. And you can never be absolutely 100% certain you're going to get the data back. But uh, I think we know that Garmin's data did come back. Uh, and so they paid off a certain amount. I know 10 million was at the top. I know they do negotiate a little bit, probably came down a touch. Um, and then they've got, then they're back up and running. But they're paying it out. Insurers, I mean, they're fueling this cycle again. Maybe they should be looking at, at one day in the future. They should pick a date and say, right, from that date in, I don't know, 2022, from now on, paying ransoms is going to be illegal. Yeah. I think that would be, that would give them enough time to, to get there in order and really think about it and test it, give them enough time. By 2022, you could eradicate ransomware by saying, right, from now on, if you do lose your data, I'm sorry, guys, but it's gone. So I think, obviously, ransomware is a huge, huge issue. Um, it's plaguing companies that you wouldn't have really thought it would be plaguing. Mm. But I think the other issue that we have is an accusation that was made in a couple of papers that the UK is the safest place to commit cybercrime now. Yeah. And I know a lot of people have brought up the issue with like the talk talk um, uh, hackers mm. who were young and who got off pretty, pretty freely mm. from that situation. How do we balance? Because clearly, a 16-year-old, 13-year-old who's DDoSed a website, we're not going to throw them in jail. That's yeah. a terrible idea, yeah. right? But on the other scale, if someone has stolen I don't know, NHS data, patient mm -hmm. data, and that whatever their age is, and done actual harm by publishing it, are we saying that they shouldn't go to jail? And what's the message that we really should be sending? This is such a difficult area. I mean, the police do have uh, their prevention team that deal with that age group that are clearly extremely sophisticated. You know, they know what they're doing. Right. Um, they, they understand that it's breaking the law, but they don't think anything will happen to them. And I'd like to even say that I take my hat off to them because they're so good at what they do, but they really need to be thinking about, well, where's that line being crossed? Because obviously, please don't, do not go and break any laws. It could, could really affect your future, but those, those people um, sometimes start to help the police. They sometimes be, uh, they have programs generated for those, uh, like Catch Me If You Can. You know, once he gets caught, he's done his time, he then goes and helps the police, mm -hmm. or, um, which is a fascinating story of many years ago. The same thing is, is kind of happening again now. We're seeing those people with incredible skill sets um, going and helping the police, which is what I think we need to be directing them with.
But it's those ones that, that don't like law enforcement from the get-go. And they're the ones that I think we're always going to struggle with. And if they get some good uh, legal help when it does go to court, then I, I must say that I'm kind of on the fence because you don't want to go waste someone's life because of a mistake they made when they were 15 or 16. You know, lots of people in their teenage years do silly things, but they get away with it. Right. Um, it doesn't affect them, and they, they forget about them in later life. But Thank God social media wasn't around <laughs> when I was yeah. a teenager, can I just point out? Yeah. Thank you. Right. <laughs> and, and, and you're right, it's the same kind of thing. You know, if these people, um, many, many years uh, later, are trying to go for a job, and you know they've got a criminal record, uh, I don't know what, what you can really do with that, because they, they are clearly amazing at what they do. And I think that's the other problem, because I've done some talks in schools, and the funny thing is that, you know, us as sort of on the white hat side of things, we all sort of say, you know, oh, it's great, you help secure the companies and you do this, all this sort of amazing work that we do. But they don't care. Um, because mm. the first question I get without right. fail is, what car do you drive? How much money do you make in a year? Right. And I think almost <laughs> we're kind of pitching this wrong to the younger generation. Yeah. Because actually they're not thinking, oh, that would be so lovely to, you know, do all of those great jobs. Maybe on some level they are, but I think ultimately, you know, when you were young, if someone said to you, Jake, you can earn half a million a year and have a Ferrari, you'd be like, doing that, what is it? <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I think we've kind of got to change the way we talk to the kids a little bit as well, because I think we're kind of pitching yeah. it to them as if they were adults. You're absolutely right. And I think we do really need to work with schools uh, a lot. Uh, teachers, the amount of teachers I hear now that, you know, actually go back a few years you'd find parents go, um, maths, oh God, oh, I'm terrible at maths. And kids hear that, right? Kids hear, oh, my mum, terrible at maths, so I might not bother as well. Um, and then what if um, their dad says, oh, I, oh, I'm a complete technophobe. Then the kids are gonna go, oh, no, 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 whatever. And you see teachers are like, this, kind of the same too. They've got a book that they're, being, that they're using to try and help them. But when the kids are cleverer than the teachers, it's the only subject that I know of that the kids are far better than the teachers from the moment they start there. You, you wouldn't imagine um, someone going into a science lesson for the first day in year 10 and being clever than the professor at the front of the class. I mean, that's, that's unheard of. Right. But you go into IT, then the kids are coming through and go, yeah, let's go and uh, take the website down. And the guy at the front's going, oh, I don't even know what that means. You know, this is where we need some serious help. Again, maybe throw some more money into IT teachers. Uh, get those teachers up to date, up to speed, and in a way that's interactive. Make it fun. You know, we need to be making kids enjoy it and see the white hack side of things. Loads of people want to go into cyber forensics and cyber security, and there are some great jobs out there. Um, but we need to be influencing them with the right role models. Yeah, and I think also some countries I've seen have done a, we have in the UK, something called a GCSE, which is kind of 16-year-old major exams. Mm. Um, and they do an equivalent, but in cybersecurity. And it's taught at a young age as a mandatory subject. And actually, in a couple of countries, they now say that it's a literacy in the same way that language and maths and science is. Yeah. And I think... The, you have a twofold problem then. One, your kids are savvier at cybersecurity, so they're more secure as adults. Mm. But B, you also fill the sort of tech gap, the skills gap, yeah. by all these people who are doing cybersecurity as a mandatory subject. 
you know, where maybe they wouldn't do. I mean, that is a huge problem with the skills gap. Um, also between men and female, we want to make everything as even as possible. Um, but we just find that some people, whatever race they are, they don't want to learn it. I found this in the police, actually. I'd have so many people over a certain age would go, oh, Jake will help us out. Oh, oh Jake, what's happened? I mean, I felt that I was uh, on the IT help desk. I'd have so many people ringing me up. Uh, oh, got a detective on the line. Um, oh, cool, he must want some uh, support on his, his investigation. No? Oh, just turn it off and on again, mate. Yeah. That, that's the kind of thing that I was getting because they thought that I was the young guy. I'm not even the youngest guy, you know? There are people far better than me that are 10, 20 years younger that are coming up with it, but it's about making people excited about it. Um, and there are so many people older that just think, nah, this is gonna be nuts. But I always do the, the mum test, okay? My mum uh, and my dad are over 17, um, and well, 10 years ago, they were rubbish with anything computing, right? I mean, so much that uh, I, I got frustrated when they'd ring me up. I would just log in over TeamViewer and just do it for them. And then one day I thought, you know what? I need to teach them what to do. Right. And now, 10 years later, I can go around their house and I'll, I'll walk into the garden. They'll both be there. They won't look up at me. They're both on their tablets and their laptops and their phones. They've got three devices each and they go, all right, Jake. And they look. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is amazing. They, they know what they're doing. But they're, they're totally savvy. They are totally awesome. secure. Um, and I love it. And, I thought, and if you told me that 10 years ago, I would have got no chance. But if my mum can do it, she's 73, and she is down with the kids when it comes to her <laughs> then anyone can learn. That's a really good, a really good saying, actually. I always think that we need to rein it back in because sometimes we get a little bit overexcited in cybersecurity yeah. with threats as well. And we go, this is a major threat. This is a major threat. And people haven't even signed up for 2FA. So, I mean, you yeah. know, let's be a bit what, realistic. 5% here. I think it is. Yeah. So would you recommend, if someone was watching and wanting to start in cybersecurity, would you recommend going into police? If there's an opening in the police, of course go for it. You know, they're still a great organisation. They need lots of people with the lust for life and the lust to catch those criminals because uh, it does take a lot of, of time to go and get them. Um, you know, some cases that I was working on would take up to two years. Yeah. So it's not just a short game. And you'd be working on multiple cases at the same time, so you're juggling lots and lots. But it's very rewarding, and that's where I think working for local government, uh, right the way up to the, the big government, I think what it, they might not pay very well, but it is extremely rewarding stuff. Rewarding stuff. Yeah, I agree. I think it's more. I found it more rewarding than in the private sector, yeah. probably on a sort of personal level and on an interest level probably as well mm. so where can people go to read about you follow you okay um well, yeah i'm on twitter so yeah jake underscore more uk and then uh, i'm on linkedin and then i've got my website which is jakemore.uk thank you very much and all the links from the show are going to be in the description below and don't forget to like and subscribe we'll see you next episode thank you very much jake thank you